Segundo take. You're listening to a special podcast produced by UMFM 101.5 in partnership with the Winnipeg Folk Festival, running Thursday, July 7th through Sunday, July 10th at picturesque Birds Hill Park. Winnipeg Folk Festival is a celebration of people and music that has been one of North America's premier outdoor music festivals for over 40 years. I'm Michael Elves, host of Thank God It's Free Range, and this episode spotlights Pachiman. Pachi Garcia, who performs under the name Pachiman, was born in Puerto Rico and now calls Los Angeles his home. A university-trained multi-instrumentalist who took his childhood love of Jamaican dub and reggae and explored it on The Return of Pachiman, an album he crafted almost entirely on his own. Pachiman will be performing at Big Blue at night on Saturday, July 9th at 9.40pm. For the full lineup, a complete list of set times to purchase tickets, and for more information on the Winnipeg Folk Festival, visit winnipegfolkfestival.ca.
So Pachi Garcia performs under the name Pachi Man. His most recent full length is The Return Of. Uh, however, he has released a, a new single called El Sonido Nuevo, The Pachi Man. He joins us on the line. How's it going? I'm good. How are y'all? Thank you for having me. Happy to have you and really excited to have you coming to Winnipeg Folk Festival. I'm so excited about that. Today's This year's lineup looks amazing and I'm honored just to be a part of it. Yeah, so in terms of looking at the lineup, like, are you able to fit in seeing some artists you haven't maybe caught and you're a fan of? Is that something that... Uh... I mean, I'm a, I'm a big Andy Shaw fan, so I'm definitely going to be trying to check his set out. Right, yeah. Yeah, no, uh, for sure, Andy Schaff is a great, great songwriter. Um, yeah. F- Festival-wise, like, I know you've got, you know, your own set and stuff like that. How do you kind of build a set for a, for a folk fest? Or is that something that, like, you do approach it differently than you would, you know, like a, a venue show? Well, I in my in my case, um, since I'm, I've recorded all, some, you know, some people know, some people don't know, but I record all the instruments in the, in the records, and I produce the whole record by myself. And, you know, I'm not able to clone myself, so I don't have a band at the moment. Mm. So I'm like, try. I've been doing this live dub set kind of situation, which seems kind of like a glorified DJ set, but it's actually a little bit more work than that. I feed all my, like, my stems through my mixer, and I do live mixing of, like, what the record sounds like, basically. And for this one, I'm probably going to bring the same set. I do also play melodica and some songs. I bring a little synthesizer that I play. And, I'm, and I feel like in, in the sense, like, the music is it's mostly, it's predominantly acoustic music. It's all, you know, all, like, real instruments. Well, I, won't, I wouldn't say, like, acoustic, but, you know, it's like electric guitar and bass and, mm-hmm. and organs and stuff that I have pre-recorded. So it does fall under the umbrella of music that could be considered folk because it was like I'm it, it came from a you know a folkloric background in the Caribbean even though it's more like 70s electric you know when folkloric makes electric kind of vibe so I feel like it falls pretty well in between and it's music to like kind of vibe into so I feel like it should be a good um a, a good um style of music to be in around in a folk festival when you're making the record do you give thought to how you're gonna how you're gonna recreate it in, in a live setting like is that entering into things or are you just thinking about the structure of the song and what you want it to sound like you know as a song that's a very good question i've been in bands um like for 25 years of my life and i've always took that kind of route where it's like when i'm creating music with a band i've always thought about like how are we going like why are we writing like how are we going to even do this live and you kind of brush it away and then decide like figure it out later with this particular project it never was a thing that i ever thought that it was going to be played outside so i just solely focused on how the record was going to sound Mm. particularly all comes from studio tricks like engineers like you know, Prince Jammy, King Tubby, Scientist, Lee Scratch Perry, they were all, like, in the studio producing these records and, like, using the technology that was available at the time to create things that couldn't have happened otherwise. It was just, like, studio tricks. So I always approached my records thinking this is just, like, a... This is just, like, a studio record. Like, I... Part of the whole reason why I started this project was because I wanted to really get into, like, the the art of of record making and not necessarily think at all 
how it's going to be performed live or anything. I was just like, I was just more in tune with like the, the sonic aesthetic of what I wanted to put out and using studio tricks to create things that a band could possibly probably not do. But, and now that I started playing shows, I do that thing kind of creeps in now and then when I'm writing music now, I'm like, am I going to be able to do this right? So mm. it, it always kind of creeps in, but I try to maintain it at bay and just be like, this is just the record. I'll figure it out later. You mentioned Lee Scratch Perry, and I know I've heard a quote with him saying that he treated the studio as an instrument or viewed it as an instrument. Uh, I'm curious in terms of approaching the studio and what you could do with it. Was it something, was it an instrument you had a foundation or an understanding of in the same way that, you know, guitar or piano might be something you you have a mastery or an understanding of? Or was that something you had to kind of learn as you were doing it and figure out kind of what notes you could play on that instrument? Definitely the studio and like the mixing board were instruments that I had to figure out while I was like learning how to do them. Um, And yes, I totally agree with the fact that a studio is an instrument. I recently just saw the Brian Wilson documentary, and I guess when there when he was recording um, "Good Vibrations," they mentioned that they cut the song in two different studios, and at the time that was like unheard of. And they like spliced the tapes together and whatever. And his like mentality behind it was that every studio sounds completely different. Mm-hmm. It's like, and you could really tell that some like the first part of the song is very more like an ethereal sounding, roomy, and the other part of the song sounds like way more. Um, dry, stripped-down rock. And the way that he, like, understood that really early on, you know, given the fact that he, they probably were able to go into studios and actually see firsthand that studios do sound different. Right. And they're, they, you, they basically play into being an instrument. You kind of make music based around the sound of a room and vice versa. And definitely Lee Scratchberry was huge into that because he... He didn't play any instruments. He was just behind the mixing board telling people what to do. So in a way, he would be like, oh, play this and, and like make it sound kind of like that. And he would use like the stuff that he had and his disposal to, you know, enhance it. So definitely it did like to me. Yeah, the, the, the studio is a particular instrument on its own. And I came from playing piano in reggae bands in Puerto Rico, I'd say like 15 years ago, maybe more like maybe almost 20 years ago. So I had a pretty solid understanding on how that music was played before I like became an engineer, producer, like writer, like 20 years later. So that definitely, it's like definitely different ways of viewing music. So did you get your start then in, in reggae bands in Puerto Rico or like had you played other forms of music before reggae? Yeah, I, I started actually as a, guitar player and I played in like punk rock bands with my friends mm. um, and I mean I started like playing cover bands guitar eventually like we started doing our own stuff and I kind of segued out of playing guitar because I thought it was just too hard <laughs> and I really got into electronic music and I when I discovered reggae afterwards um, I really got interested in piano and organs and reggae music and that's when I picked up that instrument like maybe like a year or two later after I kind of stopped playing guitar. Mm-hmm. And I, that was like, I was like in ninth grade, I would say in, in school. And I got into starting playing in bands and eventually like I played in so many different reggae bands at the same time that I was 
playing. I, I after that I I grabbed the bass and I started playing in like an experimental rock bands with my friends and like post rock bands. So I was like, you know, playing the reggae gig one day and then the next day I would be like an ambient show <laughs> or like a post rock show, mm. and then followed by a reggae gig at a restaurant or something like that. So it was just like I. I definitely dipped my feet in a bunch of different genres before I I started this project, you know, and before I like moved to Los Angeles and continued pursuing other styles of music. Do you find that place has an impact on on your musical crea- creations? Like, do you find that like in the same way that you know uh, we said a studio is an instrument that like the sound of a city seeps into your music? Like, did you Absolutely. find that yeah. this 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 re- return of Pachamán is specific to the space in which you made it in like in a way i i definitely feel like location does play into like the creation of art in general and like with music it's like you know the sound of the city and like the sound of like the scene around you or the community around you and when i moved to la i like got really into like the 60s garage stuff and like the garage revival that was happening at the moment Mm -hmm. and i would say that pachiman Definitely, there was, there is a a sense of Los Angeles, but it was like me remembering my. It was like more a channeling my my past life in Puerto Rico, like the island life in a city that like taught me, like that that basically showed me everything from scratch again, like uh, a city that I kind of put away like my ego and like I kind of reformed myself and started having a bunch of different influences and uh, musical influences and they kind of played into like what they reconstructed what I was back in the day and but in this new light of like the city that I live in but with this background of being an island baby you know <laughs> it's like being just born in an island and like and surrounded by jungle so it's it definitely it's a conglomerate of the two and i definitely think that the location does change the sound of of your art or your music right so the the you of of the la life is informed by the you that had to move from puerto rico yeah yeah definitely you have a, a track on here that features and is named ruben durazo playing trombone and you know I, I knew him from you know the interrupters and voodoo glow skulls oh yeah 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 like we actually like bonded he went to puerto rico with voodoo glow, glow skulls and played okay so i was i was curious how this association came to be and how he he landed on the record um ruben and me met at dub club when i first moved to los angeles i started there, there's this club called dub club that happened at the echoplex every wednesday night and it was kind of like, as soon as I landed in LA, I was like, okay, where's the reggae? And like, mm-hmm. I started going to this club and we met there. I started playing the expanders keyboards for like a year. And Ruben was really good friends, is really good friends with Chiquis Lozoya, who is the bassist and now singer of the expanders and also Bugalo Assassins. So they've always played together. And we like maintained the relationship ever since. And we see each other at Dove Club all the time. So when I started the project, I was like, oh man, I gotta get you, I gotta get you in a bunch of tracks. And particularly, like, I, I like naming the tracks of my collaborators, like, by their names. Some, I mean, if, it, if it's possible to do it, I'll do it. And in this case, I was like, I'm gonna make a song with you and it's gonna be called your name. 
Right. Yeah. It's it's great. I was I was curious if like you wrote it with him in mind or like how like like yeah. Did you give him some Absolutely. latitude yeah, in terms of yeah. his yeah. own voice? I was voice? like, I'm gonna make a song like solid trombone like, and for him to wail out and it's gonna and I wrote it and I wrote the melody and then he did like the rest. Right. And then the the other collaborators on the record are uh, Benson Pagan and Carlos Mercade uh, on El yeah. Benson. And so obviously Benson, El Benson is named after Benson Pagan. Yeah, and and that I wrote that song particularly uh, like to because I grew up playing with him and I knew his style of like octave kind of like sweet like sweet licks and I was like I think I got to write some his style of playing cuz I've always loved his style of playing mm. and like that's why that song was like I'm going to write a song for El, for him and it's going to be based on the style that he plays you know right I want to ask about uh, the track Mid City Rockers, which is like yeah. halfway through the record. Is it Melodica that you're playing on that track? I was trying to find kind of like the song credits. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. I didn't write that on the credits. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> that is Melodica couldn't find it on the. Uh, yeah. Uh, just because. That definitely is an uh, like uh, tribute to, you know, meets Rockers of Town, like that kind of like King, the, the early Augustus Pablo at King Tubby era. Right, I was going to ask about that, like the, wh- what you were trying to draw back from or, or echo with with that, especially with that instrument choice, and so that's that's the King Tubby influence. Yeah, that's the uh, that's the Augustus Paolo influence for sure, and the uh, King Tubby dub influence. That that was um, when I first started playing. I, I think like when I started like a couple of years after I started playing reggae, I got really obsessed with Augustus Pablo, and and we started a band in Puerto Rico. And it was predominantly a Augustus Pablo cover band. It was just like four of us, drums, bass, keyboards, um, and guitar. And I was the keyboardist, but I also played melodic. And we covered so much of the catalog of Augustus Pablo. Mm-hmm. So, like, I, I was a huge fan. I'm a huge fan still. Did you find, like, consciously, like, trying to, I don't want to say mimic, but at least, like, draw from specific oh, songs absolutely. or in- yeah. influences? I was like, yeah. Yeah, my influences were very, like, when I started, again, when I started this project, I was like, I want to, you know, perfect, I want to work on records. I want to understand production of records and, like, particularly this, like, this sound of Jamaica and this, you know, like, 68 to, like, 82, and that's, you know, it's a big chunk of time. Mm -hmm. But there's so many recordings in that era that I still, like, obsess over. And I definitely draw, like, drew from that era. I was like, I, I want to, like... And, and what I, uh, something interesting that I learned is, like, part of the sound that goes into, like, recreating that is a lot of the style of playing, is the way that they played it, the notes that they were playing, what they didn't play. You know, the way that they, like, skanked on the guitar and the way that they played the organ or, like, the drums or whatever. So definitely it draws a lot from the way that they were playing it, you know. It was like I'm trying to put my own spin on it, but it also, like, comes very from the source. So are you listening to those records with kind of a a producer's ear to figure out how they achieved what they achieved in order to then uh, echo that? Yeah, definitely, yeah. Just like listen, like, and now like that I understand more about microphone placements and stuff like that. And now I go before it was just like, how did they, you, how did they play it? And now it's like, how did they play it? And where were the, where was the microphones placed in this recording particularly? 
so yeah, it, I learn every day still. You know, it's, I'm I'm still a student uh, uh, behind the desk and and producing. You know, and I'm hopefully I'll, I'll stay a student for the rest of my life. You know, because there's so much to discover. Yeah, I mean, especially thinking back to like when they did it on like four track or eight track, like when they had the li- technical limitations of kind of like how many inputs. Whereas now, definitely, yeah, definitely. I actually all those rec- like all my records, I I'm super specific about just maintaining it a four track record. Okay, like all those records are analog analogly mixed on four tracks, basically on reel to reel and four tracks. I have a eight track tape machine and but I just will use four. Just just to kinda of try to echo what they yeah. did or, or, or come come at it with the same approach. Absolutely, yeah. The the most recent uh, release from this spring also Nido Nuevo de Pachiman. Uh do you feel like kind of it's a, a logical progression from what you did on the last record or did you try to kind of explore things differently or come at the songs in a new way? Um it in in my it, like as far as my musical interests go, yes, it definitely is a logical progression because there's I'm like tapping into things that I've always like that I you know that I love, but yeah, it sounds completely different from the other stuff that I've done. Mm-hmm. But but it like comes from kind of it stems from the same, you know. I like went for this like seventies like British like mid seventies British lovers rock tune for one. But then on the flip side, there's like the, again, like the really early, uh, like Augustus Pablo at like Randy's records kind of vibe or Aquarius, like Herman Chin Loy vibe. So it definitely, it like stays in the ballpark. Right. Just taking some different pitches. Uh, yeah. Before I let you go, uh, Pachi, I want to get you to pick a track from your discography we can play for listeners. And if you have a reason why you're picking that song or an anecdote about it, I'd love to hear that. Yeah, um, I probably would pick, I don't know, <laughs> I, I'm probably going to pick um, Sunset Sound. I really like that song, and it's it kind of like drew, it was like the first time that I felt like I like let go of my influences and was like, I'm going to draw from everything that I've learned so far and do this track and just like not even like think about it i wasn't even thinking that it might like it was gonna end up in the record i was like i'm gonna draw for some like jack i'm gonna go for some like jackie me too vibe but i also mix it with like my interest in like deconstructing like rhythm patterns when it comes to reggae and music in general and add a little bit of synthesizers because i'm a huge synth guy and i love that kind of style and what happened with that song it's just like kind of a conglomerate of everything that i was kind of going for and i end up like i'm really proud of it and it ended up on the record and being one of the singles yeah you released a video for it even yeah definitely like when i finished the song i was like okay this is good i'm gonna hold on to this one right on do you know when when you've written a song like that does it is just like it hums and you're like oh i know this this is one of the ones this is a single yeah, definitely. When yeah. at the like at the last take, and when like it, if all it's done and done, and you do the, the like the last playback, and it's like, oh yeah, this is this is a, this is good. There we go. Well, we'll give this one a listen. Sunset Sound from the Return of Pachi Man coming to Winnipeg Folk Fest. Thanks very much for joining us, Pachi. Thank you so much for having me. I can't wait to go to Winnipeg. Thank you. 
Michael Alves, and you've been listening to a special podcast spotlighting Pachimon, who'll be performing on Saturday, July 9th at 9.40 p.m. at Big Blue at night at the Winnipeg Folk Festival. To hear more featured artists, visit umfm.com, and be sure to visit winnipegfolkfestival.ca to get tickets to this great event running July 7th through 10th at Birds Hill Park. (laughs) 